section twelve of psychology of the unconscious by carl jung this librivox recording is in the public domain section twelve part two chapter two the conception of the genetic theory of levita the chief source of the history of the analytic conception of libido is freud's three contributions to the sexual theory there the term libido is conceived by him in the original narrow sense of sexual impulse sexual need experience forces us to the assumption of a capacity for displacement of the libido because functions or localizations of non-sexual force are undoubtedly capable of taking up a certain amount of libidinous sexual impetus libidinous afflux functions or objects could therefore obtain sexual value which under normal circumstances really have nothing to do with sexuality from this fact results the freudian comparison of the libido with a stream which is divisible which can be dammed up which overflows into branches and so on freud's original conception does not interpret everything sexual although this has been asserted by critics but recognizes the existence of certain forces the nature of which are not well known to which freud however compelled by the notorious facts which are evident to any layman grants the capacity to receive afflexes of libido the hypothetical idea at the basis is the symbol of the triabundal bundle of impulses wherein the sexual impulse figures as a partial impulse of the whole system and its encroachment into the other realms of impulse is a fact of experience the theory of freud branching off from this interpretation according to which the motor forces of a neurotic system correspond precisely to their libidinous additions to other non-sexual functional impulses has been sufficiently proven as correct it seems to me by the work of freud in his school since the appearance of the three contributions in nineteen o five a change has taken place in the libido conception its field of application has been widened an extremely clear example of this amplification is this present work however i must state that freud as well as myself saw the need of widening the conception of libido it was paranoia so closely related to dementia precox which seemed to compel freud to enlarge the earlier limits of the conception the passage in question which i will quote here word for word reads a third consideration which presents itself in regard to the views developed here starts the query as to whether we should accept as sufficiently effectual the universal receding of the libido from the outer world in order to interpret from that the end of the world or whether in this case the firmly rooted possession of the eye must not suffice to uphold the rapport with the outer world then one must either let that which we call possession of the libido interest from erotic sources coincide with interest in general or else take into consideration the possibility that great disturbance in the disposition of the libido can also induce a corresponding disturbance in the possession of the eye now these are the problems which we are still absolutely helpless and unfitted to answer things would be different could we proceed from a safe fund of knowledge of instinct 
but the truth is we have nothing of that kind at our disposal we understand instinct as the resultant of the reaction of the somatic and the psychic we see in it the psychical representation of organic forces and take the popular distinction between the eye impulse and the sexual impulse which appears to us to be in accord with the biological double role of the individual being who aspires to his own preservation as well as to the preservation of the species but anything beyond this is a structure which we set up and also willingly let fall again in order to orient ourselves in the confusion of the dark processes of the soul we expect particularly from the psychoanalytic investigations into diseased soul processes to have certain decisions forced upon us in regard to questions of the theory of instinct this expectation has not yet been fulfilled on account of the still immature and limited investigations in these fields at present the possibility of the reaction of libido disturbance upon the possession of the eye can be shown as little as the reverse the secondary or induced disturbances of the libido processes through abnormal changes in the eye it is probable that processes of this sort form the distinctive character of the psychoses the conclusions arising from this in relation to paranoia are at present uncertain one cannot assert that the paranoic has completely withdrawn his interest from the outer world nor withdrawn into the heights of repression as one sometimes sees in certain other forms of hallucinatory psychoses he takes notice of the outer world he takes account of its changes he is stirred to explanations by their influence and therefore i consider it highly probable that the changed relation to the world is to be explained wholly or in great part by the deficiency of the libido interest in this passage freud plainly touches upon the question whether the well-known longing for reality of the paranoic dement and the dementia precox patients to whom i have especially called attention in my book the psychology of dementia precox is to be traced back to the withdrawal of the libidinous afflexes alone or whether this coincides with the so-called objective interest in general it is hardly to be assumed that the normal fonction du real genet is maintained only through afflexes of libido or erotic interest the fact is that in very many cases reality disappears entirely so that not a trace of psychological adaptation or orientation can be recognized reality is repressed under these circumstances and replaced by the contents of the complex one must of necessity say that not only the erotic interest but the interest in general has disappeared that is to say the whole adaptation to reality has ceased to this category belong the stuporose and catatonic automatons i have previously made use of the expression psychic energy in my psychology of dementia precox because i was unable to establish the theory of this psychosis upon the conception of the displacement of the effluxes of libido my experience at that time chiefly psychiatric did not enable me to understand this theory however the correctness of this theory in regard to neuroses strictly speaking the transference neuroses was proven to me later after increased experience in the field of hysteria and compulsion neuroses in the territory of these neuroses it is mainly a question whether any portion of the libido which is spared through the specific repression 
becomes introverted and regressive into earlier paths of transference for example the path of the parental transference with that however the former non-sexual psychologic adaptation to the environment remains preserved so far as it does not concern the erotic and its secondary positions symptoms the reality which is lacking to the patients is just that portion of the libido to be found in the neurosis in dementia precox on the contrary not merely that portion of libido which is saved in the well-known specific sexual repression is lacking for reality but much more than one could write down to the account of sexuality in a strict sense the function of reality is lacking to such a degree that even the motive power must be encroached upon in the loss the sexual character of this must be disputed absolutely for reality is not understood to be a sexual function moreover if that were so the introversion of the libido in the strict sense must have as a result a loss of reality in the neuroses and indeed a loss which could be compared with that of dementia precox these facts have rendered it impossible for me to transfer freud's theory of libido to dementia precox and therefore i am of the opinion that abraham's investigation is hardly tenable theoretically from the standpoint of the freudian theory of libido if abraham believes that through the withdrawal of the libido from the outer world the paranoid system or the schizophrenic symptomatology results then this assumption is not justified from the standpoint of the knowledge of that time because a mere libido introversion and regression leads speedily as freud has clearly shown into the neuroses and strictly speaking into the transference neuroses and not into dementia precox therefore the transference of the libido theory to dementia precox is impossible because this illness produces a loss of reality which cannot be explained by the deficiency of the libido defined in this narrow sense it affords me a special satisfaction that our teacher also when he laid his hand on the delicate material of the paranoic psychology was forced to doubt the applicability of the conception of libido held by him at that time the sexual definition of this did not permit me to understand those disturbances of function which affect the vague territory of the hunger instinct just as much as that of the sexual instinct for a long time the theory of libido seemed to me inapplicable to dementia precox with increasing experience in analytical work however i became aware of a gradual change in my conception of libido in place of the descriptive definition of the three contributions there gradually grew up a genetic definition of the libido which rendered it possible for me to replace the expression of psychic energy by the term libido i was forced to ask myself whether indeed the function of reality to-day does not consist only in its smaller part of libido sexualis and in the greater part of other impulses it is still a very important question whether phylogenetically the function of reality is not at least in great part of sexual origin to answer this question directly in regard to the function of reality is not possible but we shall attempt to come to an understanding indirectly a fleeting glance at the history of evolution is sufficient to teach us that countless complicated functions to which today must be denied any sexual character were originally pure derivations from the general impulse of propagation during the ascent through the animal kingdom an important displacement 
in the fundamentals of the procreative instinct has taken place the mass of the reproductive products with the uncertainty of fertilization has more and more been replaced by a controlled impregnation and an effective protection of the offspring in this way part of the energy required in the production of eggs and sperma has been transposed into the creation of mechanisms for allurement and for protection of the young thus we discover the first instincts of art in animals used in the service of the impulse of creation and limited to the breeding season the original sexual character of these biological institutions became lost in their organic fixation and functional independence even if there can be no doubt about the sexual origin of music still it would be a poor unesthetic generalization if one were to include music in the category of sexuality a similar nomenclature would then lead us to classify the cathedral of cologne as mineralogy because it is built of stones it can be a surprise only to those to whom the history of evolution is unknown to find how few things there really are in human life which cannot be reduced in the last analysis to the instinct of procreation it includes very nearly everything i think which is beloved and dear to us we spoke just now of libido as the creative impulse and at the same time we allied ourselves with the conception which opposes libido to hunger in the same way that the instinct of the preservation of the species is opposed to the instinct of self-preservation in nature this artificial distinction does not exist here we see only a continuous life impulse a will to live which will attain the creation of the whole species through the preservation of the individual thus far this conception coincides with the idea of the will in schopenhauer for we can conceive will objectively only as a manifestation of an internal desire this throwing of psychological perceptions into material reality is characterized philosophically as introjection Ferenzi's conception of introjection denoted the reverse that is the taking of the outer world into the inner world naturally the conception of the world was distorted by introjection freud's conception of the principle of desire is a voluntary formulation of the idea of introjection while as once more voluntarily conceived principle of reality corresponds functionally to that which i designate as corrective of reality and r avenarius designates as imperacritisca principiale coordination the conception of power owes its existence to this very interjection this has already been said expressively by galileo in his remark that its origin is to be sought in the subjective perception of the muscular power of the individual because we have already arrived at the daring assumption that the libido which was employed originally in the exclusive service of egg and seed production now appears firmly organized in the function of nest building and can no longer be employed otherwise similarly this conception forces us to relate it to every desire including hunger for now we can no longer make any essential distinction between the will to build a nest and the will to eat this view brings us to a conception of libido which extends over the boundaries of the physical sciences into a philosophical aspect to a conception of the will in general i must give this bit of psychological voluntarismus into the hands of the philosophers for them to manage for the rest i refer to the words of schopenhauer relating to this in connection with the psychology of this conception by which i understand neither meta 
psychology nor metaphysics i am reminded here of the cosmogenic meaning of eros in plato and hesiod and also of the orphic figure of phanes the shining one the first created the father of eros phanes has also orphically the significance of priapus he is a god of love bisexual and similar to the theban dionysus lysios the orphic meaning of phanes is similar to that of the indian kama the god of love which is also the cosmogenic principle to plotinus of the neoplatonic school the world soul is the energy of the intellect plotinus compares the one the creative primal principle with light in general the intellect with the sun world soul with the moon in another comparison plotinus compares the one with the father the intellect with the sun the one designated as uranus is transcendent the sun as cronus has dominion over the visible world the world soul designated as zeus appears as subordinate to him the one or the usia of the whole existence is designated by plotinus as hypostatic also as the three forms of emanation also one substance in three forms as Druze observed this is also the formula of the christian trinity god the father god the son and god the holy ghost as it was decided upon at the councils of nicaea and constantinople it may also be noticed that certain early christian sectarians attributed a maternal significance to the holy ghost world soul moon see what follows concerning chi of timaeus according to plotinus the world soul has a tendency toward a divided existence and towards divisibility the conditio sine qua non of all change creation and procreation also a maternal quality it is an unending all of life and holy energy it is a living organism of ideas which attain in it effectiveness and reality the intellect is its procreator its father which having conceived it brings it to development in thought what lies enclosed in the intellect comes to development in the world's soul as logos fills it with meaning and makes it as if intoxicated with nectar nectar is analogous to soma the drink of fertility and of life also to sperma the soul is fructified by the intellect as oversoul it is called heavenly aphrodite as the undersoul the earthly aphrodite it knows the birth pangs and so on the bird of aphrodite the dove is not without good cause the symbol of the holy ghost this fragment of the history of philosophy which may easily be enlarged shows the significance of the indopsyche perception of the libido and of its symbolism in human thought in the diversity of natural phenomena we see the desire the libido in the most diverse applications and forms we see the libido in the stage of childhood almost wholly occupied in the instinct of nutrition which takes care of the upbuilding of the body with the development of the body there are successively opened new spheres of application for the libido the last sphere of application and surpassing all the others in its functional significance is sexuality which seems at first almost bound up with the function of nutrition compare with this the influence on procreation of the conditions of nutrition in lower animals and plants in the territory of sexuality the libido wins that formation the enormous importance of which has justified us in the use of the term libido in general here the libido appears very properly as an impulse of procreation and almost in the form of an undifferentiated sexual primal libido as an energy of growth which clearly forces the individual towards division 
budding etc the clearest distinction between the two forms of libido is to be found among those animals in whom the stage of nutrition is separated from the sexual stage by a chrysalis stage from that sexual primal libido which produced millions of eggs and seeds one small creature derivatives have been developed with the great limitation of the fecundity derivatives in which the functions are maintained by a special differentiated libido this differentiated libido is henceforth desexualized because it is dissociated from its original function of egg and sperma production nor is there any possibility of restoring it to its original function thus in general the process of development consists in an increasing transformation of the primal libido which only produce products of generation to the secondary functions of allurement and protection of the young this now presupposes a very different and very complicated relation to reality a true function of reality which functionally inseparable is bound up with the needs of procreation thus the altered mode of procreation carries with it as a correlate a correspondingly heightened adaptation to reality in this way we attain an insight into certain primitive conditions of the function of reality it would be radically wrong to say that its compelling power is a sexual one it was a sexual one to a large extent the process of transformation of the primal libido into secondary impulses always took place in the form of effluxes of sexual libido that is to say sexuality became deflected from its original destination and a portion of it turned little by little increasing in amount into the phylogenetic impulse of the mechanisms of allurement and of protection of the young this diversion of the sexual libido from the sexual territory into associated functions is still taking place where this operation succeeds without injury to the adaptation of the individual it is called sublimation where the attempt does not succeed it is called repression the descriptive standpoint of psychology accepts the multiplicity of instincts among which is the sexual instinct as a special phenomenon moreover it recognizes certain afflexes of libido to non-sexual instincts quite otherwise is the genetic standpoint it regards the multiplicity of instincts as issuing from a relative unity the primal libido it recognizes that definite amounts of the primal libido are split off as it were associated with the newly formed functions and finally merged in them as a result of this it is impossible from the genetic standpoint to hold to the strictly limited conception of libido of the descriptive standpoint it leads inevitably to a broadening of the conception with this we come to the theory of libido that i have surreptitiously introduced into the first part of this work for the purpose of making this genetic conception familiar to the reader the explanation of this harmless deceit i have saved until the second part for the first time through this genetic idea of libido which in every way surpasses the descriptive sexual the transference was made possible of the freudian libido theory into the psychology of mental disease the passage quoted above shows how the present freudian conception of libido collides with the problem of the psychoses therefore when i speak of libido i associate with it the genetic conception which contains not only the immediate sexual but also an amount of desexualized primal libido when i say a sick person takes his libido away from the outer world in order to take possession of the inner world with it i do not mean that he takes away merely the afflexus from the function of reality 
but he takes energy away according to my view from those desexualized instincts which regularly and properly support the function of reality with this alteration in the libido conception certain parts of our terminology need revision as well as we know abraham has undertaken the experiment of transferring the freudian libido theory to dementia precox and has conceived the characteristic lack of rapport and the cessation of the function of reality as autoerotism this conception needs revision hysterical introversion of the libido leads to autoerotism since the patient's erotic afflux of libido designed for the function of adaptation is introverted whereby his ego is occupied by the corresponding amount of erotic libido the schizophrenic however shuns reality far more than merely the erotic afflux could account for therefore his inner condition is very different from that of the hysteric he is more than autoerotic he builds up an intra-psychic equivalent for reality for which purpose he has necessarily to employ other dynamics than that afforded by the erotic afflux therefore i must grant to bluler the right to reject the conception of autoerotism taken from the study of hysterical neuroses and their legitimate and to replace it by the conception of autismus i am forced to say that this term is better fitted to facts than autoerotism with this i acknowledge my earlier idea of the identity of autismus bluler and autoerotism freud as unjustified and therefore retracted this thorough revision of the conception of libido has compelled me to this from these considerations it follows necessarily that the descriptive psychologic conception of libido must be given up in order for the libido theory to be applied to dementia precox that it is there applicable is best shown in freud's brilliant investigation of schreber's fantasies the question now is whether this genetic conception of libido proposed by me is suitable for the neuroses i believe that this question may be answered affirmatively natura non fecit saltum it is not merely to be expected but it is also probable that at least temporary functional disturbances of various degrees appear in the neuroses which transcend the boundaries of the immediate sexual in any case this occurs in psychotic episodes i consider the broadening of the conception of libido which has developed through the most recent analytic work as a real advance which will prove of a special advantage in the important field of the introversion psychoses proofs of the correctness of my assumption are already at hand it has become apparent through a series of researches of the zurich school which are now published in part that the fantastic substitution products which take the place of the disturbed function of reality bear unmistakable traces of archaic thought this confirmation is parallel to the postulate asserted above according to which reality is deprived not merely of an immediate individual amount of libido but also of an already differentiated or desexualized quantity of libido which among normal people has belonged to the function of reality ever since prehistoric times a dropping away of the last acquisition of the function of reality or adaptation must of necessity be replaced by an earlier mode of adaptation we find this principle already in the doctrines of the neuroses that is that a repression resulting from the failure of the recent transference is replaced by an old way of transference namely through a regressive revival of the parent imago 
in the transference neurosis hysterical where merely a part of the immediate sexual libido is taken away from reality by the specific sexual repression the substituted product is a fantasy of individual origin and significance with only a trace of those archaic traits found in the fantasies of those mental disorders in which a portion of the general human function of reality organized since antiquity has broken off this portion can be replaced only by a generally valid archaic surrogate we owe a simple and clear example of this proposition to the investigation of honegger a paranoic of good intelligence who has a clear idea of the spherical form of the earth and its rotation around the sun replaces the modern astronomical views by a system worked out in great detail which one must call archaic in which the earth is a flat disk over which the sun travels i am reminded of the sun phallus mentioned in the first part of this book for which we are also indebted to honegger spielrein has likewise furnished some very interesting examples of archaic definitions which begin in certain illnesses to overlay the real meanings of the modern word for example spielrein's patient had correctly discovered the mythological significance of alcohol the intoxicating drink to be an effusion of seed she also had a symbolism of boiling which i must place parallel to the especially important alchemistic vision of zosimos who found people in boiling water within the cavity of the altar this patient used earth in place of mother and also water to express mother i refrain from further examples because future work of the zurich school will furnish abundant evidence of this sort my foregoing proposition of the replacement of the disturbed function of reality by an archaic surrogate is supported by an excellent paradox of spielrein's she says i often had the illusion that these patients might be simply victims of a folk superstition as a matter of fact patients substitute fantasies for reality fantasies similar to the actually incorrect mental products of the past which however were once the view of reality as the zosimos vision shows the old superstitions were symbols which permitted transitions to the most remote territory this must have been very expedient for certain archaic periods for by this means convenient bridges were offered to lead a partial amount of libido over into the mental realm evidently spielrein thinks of a similar biological meaning of the symbols when she says thus a symbol seems to me to owe its origin in general to the tendency of a complex for dissolution in the common totality of thought the complex is robbed by that of the personal element this tendency towards dissolution transformation of every individual complex is the motive for poetry painting for every sort of art when here we replace the formal conception complex by the conception of the quantity of libido the total effect of the complex which from the standpoint of the libido theory is a justified measure then does spielrein's view easily agree with mine when primitive man understands in general what an act of generation is then according to the principle of the path of least resistance he never can arrive at the idea of replacing the generative organs by a sword-blade or a shuttle but this is the case with certain indians who explain the origin of mankind by the union of the two transference symbols he then must be compelled to devise an analogous thing in order to bring a manifest sexual interest upon an asexual expression the propelling motive of this transition of the immediate sexual libido to the non-sexual representation 
can in my opinion be found only in the resistance which opposes primitive sexuality it appears as if by this means of fantastic analogy formation more libido would gradually become desexualized because increasingly more fantasy correlates were put in the place of the primitive achievement of the sexual libido with this an enormous broadening of the world idea was gradually developed because new objects were always assimilated as sexual symbols it is a question whether the human consciousness has not been brought to its present state entirely or in great part in this manner it is evident in any case that an important significance in the development of the human mind is due to the impulse towards the discovery of analogy we must agree thoroughly with steinthal when he says that an absolutely overweening importance must be granted to the little phrase gleich wie even as in the history of the development of thought it is easy to believe that the carryover of the libido to a fantastic correlate has led primitive man to a number of the most important discoveries End of section twelve